Hey everybody, this is Krista Stilwell, Communications Assistant at LFCN. Thanks for listening to the podcast. It's a glimpse into the life of our church. We are ordinary people being transformed into passionate followers of Jesus who join with God in the remaking of all things. We pray that what you hear is a blessing and helps you join God today. If our church can help you and serve you in any way, please drop us a line at 765-447-7655. Enjoy the sermon. So we've been in a sermon series. This is the third week, and the title of the sermon series is printed on your program. It's Forgiving as We Have Been Forgiven. And this um, forgiveness, receiving and extending forgiveness, is one of the central practices of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So we don't just believe in our head or believe in our hearts that God has forgiven us, therefore we should extend forgiveness. We, we certainly believe that. But to be a follower of Jesus means we don't just believe it, but that we participate in it. We do it. It's a practice of the Christian faith. And just like anything in our life, any skill or character trait or talent or ability in order to become people who are good at receiving forgiveness and in order to become the kind of people who become well acquainted with extending forgiveness it takes just that it takes practice it means we can't just believe that it's true we also have to become the kind of people who would do it And so at the heart of this sermon series is the desire or the hope that what we're learning from the Word of God would, number one, help us to understand the central reality of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that God in Christ, through the power of his Holy Spirit, has extended to us forgiveness, and That God in Christ, through the power of his Holy Spirit, wants to help us to become a person of forgiveness. So it's with that background in mind that we turn our attention to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. I know you just sat down. I'm going to ask you to stand with me for the reading of God's word. Stand with me if you would. Luke chapter 4, beginning with verse 14. The words will be on the screen for you this morning. Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been raised. And on the Sabbath, he went to the synagogue, as he normally did. And he stood up to read. And the synagogue assistant handed to him the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He sent me to preach good news, recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled the scroll up, gave it back to the synagogue assistant, and he sat down. And every eye in the synagogue was fixed on him. 
And he began to explain to them, today, the scripture has been fulfilled just as you heard it. And everyone was raving about Jesus. So impressed were they by the gracious words following his lips. They said, hey, this is Joseph's son, isn't it? And then Jesus said to them, undoubtedly, you will quote this saying to me, doctor, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we've heard you did in Capernaum. And he said, I assure you, no prophet is welcome in the prophet's hometown. And I can assure you there were many widows in Israel during Elijah's time. And when it didn't rain for three and a half years and there was a great food shortage in the land, yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to a widow in the city of Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were also many persons with diseases in Israel during the time of the prophet Elisha, but none of them were cleansed. Instead, Naaman the Syrian was cleansed. When they heard this, everyone in the room was filled with anger. They rose up. They ran him out of town. They led him to the crest of the hill on which their town had been built so that they could shove him off the cliff. But he passed through the crowd, and he went on his way. This is God's word for us, and what a word it is this morning. You may be seated. Many of you, many of you are familiar with the popular writer, author, teacher, quasi-spiritual guide, a lady by the name of Brene Brown. Brene Brown tells this story in one of her most famous TED Talks, and I, I, just, want to, I just want to tell it for, to you this morning. She says this. This is her story. She said, a friend of mine spent her life at a university dominated by two men. One was her father. Her father had been this incredibly controlling presence since childhood. The other was this international graduate student who became her mentor and then later on her boyfriend. And she became pregnant. And suddenly she didn't know where to turn. And as soon as her father heard the news, he swung into action more or less forced her to terminate the life of that child. She felt trapped. She loved her boyfriend. She didn't trust him, though. And she was angry with her father. But deep down, she knew he'd always be there in a way that her boyfriend wouldn't be. So she gave in to what her father wanted her to do. And the strange thing was that for years afterwards, she didn't feel angry with either of these two controlling presences in her life, she just felt really guilty. So one day she went into a church and she poured the whole story out to a priest. And she just simply said to the priest, sorry, I'm so sorry. And the priest said back to her, God forgives you. Three words. God forgives you. And as she walked out of that church building, she felt such incredible relief and joy and convulsive energy that she ran around the exterior of the building three times to celebrate. Now, Brene Brown doesn't say this, but this is what I want to say. 
I want to suggest to you that what her friend experienced in that story is the most radical power in the whole world. The most radical power in the whole world. There's all kinds of power that exists in the world. There's the power of love, the power of money, the power of the market, the power of armies. But none of those powers, as mighty as they are, as forceful as they may be, none of them has the power to get a person out of prison. They have the power to like blow the prison up or to make life in the prison sustainable or offer hope or a future while you're still in prison. But there's only one power in the entire world that can get you out of prison. And that's the power of forgiveness. Because here's what we've learned to be true about what it means to be human. When you can't forgive, when you can't find forgiveness, it's like you're being imprisoned 24-7. Make no mistake about it. Think about how much energy that we exhaust in sleepless nights. Think about the energy that we give over to guilt or resentment. Dwell for a moment on the kind of energy that we put into avoiding certain people at certain places because of our anger towards them. Be mindful of us, how many of us have changed a phone number or changed a city or changed a location because a particular person who has an intolerable power and presence in our life and we haven't found it in ourselves to be able to forgive. And when that store of energy that we've kept up within ourselves, when that is released, we find ourselves free on a level that we've never experienced before. We find ourselves experiencing a peace that passes all manner of understanding. We find ourselves joyful, joyful to the point where we're willing to run around a church building three times because we don't know what else to do to celebrate. And it's precisely that radical power, that overwhelming energizing reality. It's that that Jesus came to bring into this world. Except he didn't limit that power just to the feelings of individuals. Because forgiveness isn't just about the feeling of bitterness that we have Toward the, the, toward the physician who failed to diagnose our father with cancer or the feelings of guilt that we have because we didn't know our friend was that sick and we never went to see her until she, it was way too late. Forgiveness isn't just about that. It's also about the, the prisons that whole peoples put themselves in. It's the paralysis of guilt felt by a whole city or a whole gender. And imagine that feeling that you individually feel that causes you to run around a church building three times. Imagine what that would mean when it's translated to an entire population of people. That's the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God that Jesus came to bring. 
And that's what Jesus is talking about when he walks into that synagogue and he reads what he read that we read about in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 is where this Luke's story of Jesus' life really begins. I mean, it gets going in Luke chapter 4. Before Luke chapter 4 and Luke chapters 1, we had, you know, the, the, the story of Jesus' birth, the Christmas story. And then we moved on to the story of Jesus' baptism and his temptation in the wilderness. We had a little bit more of Jesus' genealogy And then we get here to what we're really looking for. And Luke is saying to us, this is the whole point. This is what all of the fuss of Jesus' life was about. We're in jail, and Jesus has come to set us free. We've been imprisoned, or we've imprisoned ourselves, and Jesus has come to break us out of it. And on that day, in that synagogue, Jesus makes five declarations. He declares good news to the poor, release to the captives, sight to the blind, freedom for the oppressed, and the favor of the Lord. And the whole point is, all five of those proclamations, they all have to do with one element of forgiveness. They are all areas where the power of resentment and hard-heartedness and bitterness and cruelty has become ingrained in us in such a way as to leave us in prison, either literally or metaphorically. So, I mean, this is about economic, legal, physical, and relational bondage. And Jesus, Luke says, has come to set people free. And the best way to describe that freedom is like the kind of energy that causes you to run around that church building. Now, when I grew up in church, I grew up attending a youth group, and I grew up... um, during the era of youth ministry was the point where, where the point of youth ministry was to be as crazy as possible to demonstrate to teenagers who had attention deficit disorder that, hey, God is really crazy and God is really cool. And so the job of a youth pastor when I was growing up was to mimic just how crazy God can be. And so I'll never forget, we went on this like um, youth, youth, youth ministry retreat. I think it was in the fall. We went away for a couple of days. And it was this time where we all gathered together and the youth pastor had a captive audience, literally. And so could demonstrate to us just how crazy this whole, this whole thing was. And so he decided that he, this, this was the bit he was going to use. He was going to get into a straitjacket. And I don't know where he found the straight jacket, but youth pastors are, are resourceful. And so he, he found a straight jacket and he got into a straight jacket and then he asked for a volunteer from the crowd and someone volunteered and they wrapped him as he was in this straight jacket. They wrapped these heavy iron chains around him. And then he turned on a CD of like worship music. I think it was Carmen for you insiders. 
And he spent the next two or three or four or five minutes writhing around the ground until he had, here is the catch, here is it, until he had escaped from the chains. <laughs> it was quite a performance. That's quite a performance. Looking back on it now, I mean, it would have been actually really cool if he could have connected that performance to what we're talking about in Luke chapter 4. But he didn't connect the dots on that. And certainly, as a young person, I wasn't connecting those dots either. I thought we were just talking about magic tricks. And that was, well, that was, that was cool and everything. But here's the problem. What about the person who's like all all bound up within themselves, who's imprisoned economically, physically, spiritually, relationally, and they can't wiggle their way out. Like, it doesn't matter how many minutes you give them to writhe around on the ground. They're stuck. That's the person that Jesus was talking to that day. He's talking to them. But sometimes we, don't, we, we miss the reality of what he's saying because Jesus is speaking in a code that we often don't understand. It's a code that's kind of obscure to us, but it would have been very obvious to anybody who was his childhood friend in the synagogue in Nazareth that day. And the key to the whole code lies in two chapters in the Old Testament. Leviticus chapter 25 and Deuteronomy chapter 15. You have spare time this week and you really want to do a deep dive, you read Leviticus chapter 25, and you read Deuteronomy chapter 15, and you realize that what Jesus is talking about as he reads the scroll in the synagogue that day is he's talking about something called the year of Jubilee. And here's what that is. So the Old Testament law is very realistic about the fact that the children of God, the people of Israel, despite being God's people, and they were God's people. But despite that, they would still take advantage of one another and that there would develop within them, within the people of God, significant differences in social inequality. Some people, you give them an, enough time, some people will eventually become landless and not landowners. And they'll become economically, physically, spiritually vulnerable. That's just human nature. God understood that you can't legislate perpetual economic equality. So today, what could happen is, you know, we could just give everybody in the room $50,000. $50,000. It would be like Oprah up in here. But before we get back together next weekend, y'all just got $50,000 either through a mixture of bad luck or you were just too compassionate and generous and you gave it all away or you had really bad judgment. A whole bunch of y'all will find yourself broke. And in the ancient worlds, if you were broke, that meant slavery. So, Leviticus 25, Deuteronomy 15, spells out a stipulation. The stipulation was this. Every 50 years, everybody who was a slave because of the debt that they have accrued, they would become free, and all of their debts would be released, and all of the land would be restored 
to its original order. That's how Israel was supposed to live. And they were supposed to live that way because they were supposed to show gratitude to their God who delivered them from slavery in Egypt by being merciful in their dealings with the poor and the needy and enslave their own people. And so Jesus swings into downtown Nazareth. He pushes back the doors of the synagogue. And he effectively announces this. Release to the captives and everybody who's oppressed, you're free. And everybody knows what he's talking about. They know he's talking about that Old Testament idea of the year of Jubilee happening today. And when he says, this is the year of the Lord's favor, he couldn't spell it out any more clearly for them. He was inaugurating this. Debts released. Slaves freed. But here's the catch. Everybody who was an ancient Israelite knew that's what they were supposed to do. Nobody actually did it. Because Israel believed, hey, we escaped slavery once. We're never going to find our way back there again. So when Jesus makes this announcement, he's effectively saying this. Hey, guys, we are in slavery again, aren't we? But this time, there really is going to be a jubilee, and it starts today, and it's me. I'm it. And so Jesus brings with him good news, bad news, and a challenge. The bad news is, you're all imprisoned. You're all imprisoned. The good news is, I'm here to set you free. And the challenge is, today. Today. And you think about my youth pastor wiggling around on the retreat straight stage in his straitjacket. Jesus is talking to people who have stopped believing in the power of forgiveness. People who believe they'll be in debt forever. People who know how God's supposed to be all-powerful, but they don't think that power will ever work for them. People who sense that that year of freedom will never come. And so this is what Jesus says. He says, if you're poor, you're in a straitjacket. You're imprisoned. If you're deep in debt and you have no reliable source of income, if most of the people that you meet in your life are dealers or predators, and if banks won't take any kind of risk on you, if all of your relationships have been soured by the distrust of unpaid loans and the fear of stolen goods, if you're vulnerable to the slightest break in the weather or the economy, then you're in chains. And Jesus says... I've come to set you free. If you're in prison, you're in a straitjacket. 
If you're in the slavery of another person scheming like your forefathers were in Egypt or in the exile of your own foolish decision making like your forefathers were in Babylon, if you're a tiny if you're in a tiny space and you have absolutely no room to grow or play or dance, if you've done something wrong and you'll always 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 regret it and you'll always 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 be punished for something you never did, then you're in chains. And Jesus says, I've come to set you free. He says, if you're imprisoned in your own body, you're in a straitjacket. If you can't bring yourself to eat, or if you gulp down food in binges that make you throw up, if you can't stop yourself from snacking and you grow well beyond your mirror and your wardrobe, if you're weighed down by limbs or organs or senses that no longer work as they should, or maybe they never have, if your mind is beset by anxiety and panic or disintegration or hallucination or addiction, then you're in chains. And Jesus says, I have come to set you free. If you're dominated by the oppressive force of another, you're in a straitjacket. If your home is a hidden scene of violence and stifled secrecy, if your workplace is a place of exploitation and fear, if your society is one in which you cannot show your face without a mask, or your country is one where you can't speak the truth without being disappeared, if your nation is in the grip of aggressive corporations or willful militias or merciless oligarchies, then you're in chains. And Jesus says, I've come to set you free. Now listen up, church. If you're languishing in guilt, if you're languishing in guilt, you're in a straitjacket, If you've done something or you're doing something that doesn't belong in God's heart, if you long for an honest life, but you are crippled by shame and fear, if you spend most of every day dreading that God or the world will find out, you're in chains. And Jesus says, I have come to set you free. And so what he's offering is a personal, spiritual, social, political, psychological, physical program well beyond our limited imaginations. It is so much more radical than any social or economic program It's way more profound than any dramatic ministry of a youth pastor. It is the political, psychological, and personal heart of the gospel. The element in Jesus' proclamation that isn't significantly found in any of the other world religions that have ever existed. It is the greatest power in the universe, and if it were unleashed In its entirety, the world would be a fundamentally and completely different place. I'm talking about the forgiveness of sins that imprison us. That's what the Jubilee year meant. 
That's what transformation means. That's what salvation means. It's about this explosion of energy released when we are rightly reconciled with God. It's about this social force that's sparked when we're rightly reconciled with one another. Forgiveness means allowing the forces that have kept us in prison to be completely dismantled by the presence of Jesus. Forgiveness means allowing the stuff that has locked us up to be slowly released or quickly released by the transforming presence of Jesus Christ. Forces like unpayable debt, which believes that mercy has no place in our world. Forces like endless incarceration, which believes that punishment is more just and more effective than reconciliation. Forces like hatred of our own body, which make our greatest enemies our own skin. Forces like relationships that have become oppressive, which substitute violence for things that can't be said. Forces like our fear of God's disfavor, which makes us live each day in the shadows to avoid the truth. Listen, if forgiveness, if forgiveness is starting to make you nervous, if you think that's all well and good, but I can't play a part in that, if you like the idea of forgiveness, but you're not sure about living in that reality, if it's all just too much, I mean, that's, that's way more than understandable. I mean, we're bound to be nervous because we're standing beside the greatest volcano of pent-up energy in the world that God is desiring to unleash. This, Jesus says, today is God's day. Today is the year of the Lord's favor. Today. So here's the bad news. Jesus says you're broke. You're poor. He says you're in prison. He says your body is in prison. He says you're oppressed. He says you can't hide those lies and deceit from him. Here's the good news. There's nothing that Jesus wants more than to set you free. He wants to set you free. He wants you to open your life to the most powerful force in the world. He wants you to give and to receive forgiveness from God and from one another. He wants this to be the year of your jubilee. Here's the challenge. Will you let him? Today. Today, Jesus says, this has been fulfilled. Today, this year starts. Not someday down the road when you can take incremental steps to make yourself better so that you can own up to it or so that you can face it 
or so that you can speak your mind, so that you can say your truth to the person. Not someday. Today. The challenge in all of this is that the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ always confronts us, personally confronts us. And the confrontation is not, hey, would you calendar this? Could we find a day where our schedules meet up? The challenge is, man, there is a whole new life available. Today. Now. Not someday. Today. Jesus comes into that synagogue and he speaks these words of bad news, of good news, and of challenge. And the bad news is, Sometimes we we like to convince ourselves that we're not imprisoned, but Jesus tells us the truth. We're all locked up. We're locked up. And then he speaks these beautiful words of good news. That year of of Jubilee starts today, and it starts with me. And then he offers to us a challenge. Will you? today.